0: Good afternoon, uh, everybody. Um, uh, Once to this uh, value uh, of discipleship, but as Billy alluded to in his prayer, um, we're going to spend a decent bit of our, our focus on discipleship uh, on prayer. Uh, as we go through this, um, like Martin, I'm not really going to put the passages on the screen the whole time, because like Martin, I saw that same tweet yesterday. Uh, it was a, a tweet with a, little, with a little bit and an article. Uh, And like all good Twitter users, what I did was I formed my opinion based solely on the headline. I haven't read the article, but it seems like it might have some sort of merit. Um, I'm pretty much the sort of person that if you give me an article with a nice headline, I'll believe whatever it says. Those adverts you get at the bottom of the article, it's like, person makes $5,000 a month at home with one simple trick. I'm like, yes, I want that. I'm going to go all for that. Uh, A few months ago, so so in May, my parents came to visit... Um, and they hadn't seen my flat. I'd been living there about two years. They hadn't seen it. So naturally, uh, I had to spend a good few days cleaning. Uh, and in preparation for that, I had to go out and buy like, a bunch of the materials and stuff you need for that. Uh, and it was so, so kind of so overwhelming. I basically just made all my decisions on what to buy based on how well they advertised it. So for sponges, it was like, this sponge is really effective. I was like, yes, I need a really effective sponge. I'm going to buy that sponge. Came to cloths. There were these sets of microfiber cloths. And microfiber itself sounds really fancy. (laughs) They said they were good with just water. No doubt, just water, it was amazing. And they had these kitchen sets and they had bathroom sets. And I was like, I have a kitchen, I have a bathroom, I'm gonna get both of these sets. I get home and you know what happens? The cloths were exactly the same. In kitchen and bathroom, the cloths are the same. It was a complete scam. (laughs) What I hope is not a scam, Uh, is this session on discipleship, Uh, that we are not just going to hear some nice little headline on what discipleship is and just go with that, Um, but we'll dig into what the core of being a disciple and being a family of disciples means. Um, To kind of kick us off, we're going to look at what our uh, value statement says about discipleship. It has a little blurb on the website, and then we're going to ask of that statement three questions. And these will lead us, and the statement leads us to different passages across the Bible as we consider what it means to be a family of disciples. I'm sure you have memorized what it says on the website about being disciples. Uh, But for those of us who may not have, I'll read out what the statement says. Being a Christian is about much more than a one-time decision or a family heritage. We are followers of Jesus, choosing to continue on a journey with him, seeking to become more and more like him each day. Through the life-changing power of God and the help and inputs of our brothers and sisters, we are learning what it means to grow in love, godliness, and holiness. As we go through, there's three things I want to pick out from this statement for us to go through. The first is who disciples are. The second is what is the broad picture of discipleship, And the third is what is an area that we, as a church, would love to grow in. Uh, So the first one, who disciples are. The statement says disciples are followers of Jesus. Uh, We use that word follower quite a lot. We are followers of a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I follow Man United. Uh, On Instagram or Twitter, you'll follow a whole bunch of people. People. If you go in somewhere you don't know the way, you'll follow somebody else, or you'll follow a satnav. And there's a danger, I guess, as we hear followers of Jesus, to minimise what following Jesus is to just those other things. Those other things that probably, whenever uh, it gets really tough, whenever there was that phase when Man United weren't that good and it got tough to follow them, and we minimise what this huge call to follow Jesus is. It is, and as the statement says, it is not a one-time button click. This call to follow Jesus is a life-transforming call for our whole selves. Here's how Jesus put this call himself in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the way the ESV phrases it. The NIV writes, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I thought it was interesting just how it phrases it so clearly. Uh, To be a disciple, uh, it requires these things. Taking up our cross is an all-encompassing call. It is a call to die. And if we embrace that call, if we embrace that call to become a follower of Jesus, then by dying, we receive new life in Jesus. Our whole life shifts from before as not disciples living only for ourselves to being disciples who've received new life in Christ and are living for God. And with that is our status, our identity as disciples, all other things that we do and say and think fall under that banner of following Jesus. Um, so back up until Christmas, I was a Pizza Hut delivery driver And when I was at work, all the things that I did there reflected who I was. Who I was, my main identity in that place was a Pizza Hut delivery driver. And so I packed pizza, I drove about town to different flats, I dropped pizza off. Before I started my shift, I didn't do any of those things. It'd be completely mental if I'm not a Pizza Hut delivery driver to walk into Pizza Hut and start doing all that. As my identity shifted, To delivering pizza, my whole purpose, all my actions, my whole life for those few hours were all about delivering pizza. When we accept that call to follow Jesus, our whole identity is shifted. Not just for a few hours, some evening, but our whole lives. Everything we do, say, and think becomes about him. Disciples are those who embrace that call to follow Jesus with our whole lives. And then the second question is, what is this kind of broad picture of discipleship? If disciples are those who follow Jesus and have their whole identity wrapped up in him, What is this lifelong journey that our initial statement talks about? What does that lifelong journey look like? Uh, So back in the statement, uh, the phrase kind of drawing on for this is choosing to continue on a journey with him, seeking to become more and more like him each day. We'll start with that second part. It talks of our destination for this journey. The destination that disciples are aiming for is Christ-likeness. To illustrate that, uh, please turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Philippians 2, and we'll read the first 11 verses. Uh, This is my uh, favorite passage in all of Scripture. Uh, Growing up, like in high school, did a couple of talks for the youth group, and I made sure I included this in everything I ever did. Uh, We'll read the first 11 verses, uh, which will speak to us our destination and some of how we get there. Uh, If you're in uh, Church Bible, it's page 980. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, So if our destination is Christ-likeness, then to get there, to know exactly how we, uh, how we see Christ-likeness, Paul calls us to look at Christ. Uh, in this passage, he's, he's calling the Philippians to live in humility towards one another, one aspect of Christ-likeness. And rather than just think really hard or work really hard to figure out what that looks like, they are to just look directly at Jesus, to see who, his, who he is. And the call for them as disciples is to imitate him. Throughout the New Testament, that call to imitate Christ is pretty regular. Paul calls believers to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so once we know that destination of Christ-likeness, we then turn our attention to the journey In our statement, it's called a journey with him. And that word with, often we read and it's just a kind of a word that just kind of sits in the sentence to to help with the other parts of the sentence. But that word with is really, really important. Not only is the goal of our journey Christ, but the companion for our journey is Christ. So at no point is our growing as a disciple our striving for Christ-likeness, a means of us reaching up to him. It is not a series of steps and hurdles that if we complete enough of, we finally reach Christ. Because our very identity as disciples is only made possible because Jesus reached down to us. Only made possible because Jesus came from heaven to earth died in our place, rose again, and gave us new life in Him. And so Christlikeness is the destination of our journey, and Christ is the companion of it. Like many journeys, uh, this journey towards Christlikeness is not as straightforward or as straight road as we would hope. So often on this journey towards Christ-likeness, uh, we tend to deviate. So many other destinations can seem more appealing to us. Uh, You'll know what these are for you. It may be the destination destination of wealth, or just the principle of doing whatever we want, or just personal happiness, and they'll tempt us from looking at Christ, from Him being our example, to aiming towards Christ-likeness, to, to veering off. To looking at these other things. Jesus Christ, as our companion, is constantly steering us back on the right path toward Christ-likeness. And a huge part of how he does that is through his church. Jesus, in the Great Commission, he calls disciples to make disciples. So as a family of disciples, we have a a privilege and a duty to disciple one another. We drive each other on towards Christ-likeness. We disciple one another as we see each other stray, as we see ourselves stray. We rely on the gifts of others to put us back on that path to Christ. And we hope that this happens within our churches in so many different ways. So as we preach, we trust that God will use his word to grow and shape us. As we sing songs of praise, and it's been so wonderful to hear each other sing this weekend, we are teaching each other, among other things, we are teaching each other truths about God. As we relate to one another in times of tea and coffee and lunch or whatever, we learn to see what it looks like to live as a disciple in the everyday And one way we really hope as a church we are able to disciple each other is through the idea of small groups. As we meet together in small groups, we get the opportunity to study and to apply God's words. And we get to share our lives with one another in ways that in such a big group we simply can't do. And in sharing sharing details about our lives, sharing our lives with one another, it gives us so much more opportunity to help steer one another back toward the path to Christ-likeness. Uh, So personally, in my experience, a small group, so uh, for the past, I guess, five or six years, I've been a part of young adults. And through the whole time, it has been such a fantastic blessing to me. Uh, In that time, I've been prayed for. I've been encouraged. I've been taught. I have laughed. I have eaten. I have worshipped. I have been truly loved. And so if you're here on this weekend and small groups aren't a part of how you are connecting with the church, please do get involved. Within this broader family, they are a smaller family of disciples steering us towards Jesus. Now, before we move on to kind of the second half and we focus a bit more on prayer, we're going to spend a little time in discussion with those around you. Um, So in your tables, in in threes or fours or whatever, I want you to ponder the question, what moments or people or ongoing rhythms and times have been significant in your discipleship? Uh, What has really pointed you towards Jesus and encouraged you uh, recently or or going back years and years in the faith? Uh, I'll bring us back together in in three or four minutes and we'll continue, but please do uh, chat in your tables. Um, But if we're able to... To bring it back together, um, I imagine if uh, your conversation wasn't quite finished, it'd be wonderful uh, over lunch uh, or whatever to continue that. Um, but we're going to we're going to keep pressing on. I just want to share for uh, for your encouragement or information or whatever, um, somebody and something that was particularly significant uh, for me as I hopefully grew as a disciple. Uh, and this may sound really unrealistic, but I promise this is true and it did happen. Uh, when we moved to Northern Ireland. Uh, And I was 11. Uh, We were trying out different churches. And we turned up to the church that then became our home church. And we turned up a couple minutes before the service was due to start. Uh, And as we walk in, every aisle is full before the service was meant to start. I know that sounds really crazy, but it was true. And so what happened was we were a family of six. Um, And apparently being 11 means you're old enough to not sit with your family and you get separated. And so I was kind of shoved into this row of real grown-ups and everything. And it got to the time uh, in the service uh, for scripture reading. And the person sitting next to me uh, was one of the youth leaders. And as the scripture was being read, he picked up the Bible from sitting in front of the pew. And he held it between us for me to read from. It's a really simple picture that tells a beautiful story. And it went on for years as he was my youth leader. That this man wanted to share the word of God with me. And over years he was my youth leader and a really wonderful person. And from that moment, I felt loved and encouraged and able to grow. The final part of the statement that we're going to consider Uh, is the final part. It is that we are learning what it means to grow in love, godliness, and holiness. Uh, We associate discipleship so much with growth. That's why on the wall it says growth rather than discipleship. Uh, The very root of the word disciple is to be a learner. And Jesus taught his disciples many things. And sometimes uh, the disciples have to ask him to to explain what it was because they don't quite get it. But there's only once that we read that the disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach them. And what they ask of Jesus is teach us to pray. And one area as churches that we would love to grow in together is prayer. Now this is not to say that uh, prayer is the root of all our problems or whatever. We could look at uh, so many different aspects Uh, of our individual lives, of our collective life. And so we really want God to do a great work here. And that will be the case as long as this church exists. As we go on to think about prayer, I want to say that a lot of uh, this prayer talk uh, will come from a fantastic little book called Prayer. Uh, It's one of the Nine Marks series on building healthy churches. Uh, It's a pretty short book by John Onwachequa. Uh, From now on, I'll just refer to him as John. Um, at this point, uh, normally I'm meant to like, hold up the little book saying, if you want to read this, you can. I only have it on Kindle. So if you steal my phone, you can read this book. Uh, if not, I'd encourage you um, to check it out if you'd like to. The disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray in Luke 11. Uh, and then from there, we get a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but we're going to consider the longer version uh, given to us in Matthew 6. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be parked there uh, for the rest of this. Uh, The words uh, I know will be familiar to many, uh, and we'll say them all together at the end. Uh, But here, uh, Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're really only going to focus on the first four words. And when we get to grips with what they are saying, there are some of the most tremendous words in all of Scripture. Our Father in heaven. These words give us an invitation to relate to God in a special way. I wonder if uh, you just want to think for a moment, what's the best invitation that you have ever received? Or the biggest invitation? Uh, For me, and I really hope your answers are better than this, uh, the best invitation I got was to play for this really good Ultimate Frisbee team. (laughs) It was four or five years ago, so I was fairly new to the game. And there was this team uh, entering this UK-wide national competition, and going in, they were seeded first based on qualification. Uh, The reason I was invited was that um, they had a couple of injuries from qualification to the tournament, but all the other players that they would want to invite were also playing in the tournament for other teams that were just slightly less good. Uh, So me and one of my friends got brought into play. And in joining this team, because these people were so good, they played at such a high level, I was incredibly nervous. So we went round and introduced our, our names in a circle. And for some reason, and I still really don't understand, as it got to me, I said, Tom. I I did have the guts to to correct myself. I didn't just go by Tom the whole day. But based on who these people were, I was so nervous in meeting them, that's what what I went with. And throughout the day, so much of my, my feeling what I was doing was working really hard to impress them on the field. Prayer comes to us as an invitation from the maker of the universe the perfectly holy God, to be in conversation with him. And on the face of that, that too is not a terrifying invitation. But rather than calling us and teaching us to approach prayer with fear, Jesus calls us to approach prayer as speaking to our Father. And that phrase, our Father, tells us two huge things. It tells us what our relationship with God is like, And it tells us that we are a family who share a father. I'll quote that uh, book on prayer by John. He writes, Before we request anything in prayer, we're reminded that God is not merely our sovereign judge and ruler. He is also our father. Jesus died as the substitute for our sin to justify us or to declare us righteous in God's courtroom." But he justified us so that he might adopt us into his family. This means that when we come to God, we have nothing to fear. Knowing this identity as children of God means as we come to him in prayer, we don't need to dress ourselves up or learn a bunch of fancy words to pray. None of these external things we could do change who we are before God's. A child doesn't or shouldn't need to achieve a lot to be loved by their father. The love from the father comes from the father being the father and the child being the child. Tim Keller says this on our praying to God as father The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is their child we have that kind of access. We approach the throne of God with confidence, aware of the holiness and the bigness and the transcendence of God, and we approach that throne and address the one who sits on it as our Father. And that second point about our Father That we share together the same Father. We see so often in the New Testament that praying is a communal family activity. So Jesus starts with our Father. Throughout the New Testament, Paul calls whole churches to pray for him and for others. As Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he calls others to pray with him. And there's a couple of aspects of why communal prayer is so important that I want us to grasp. The first is that communal prayer is unifying, and the second is that communal prayer is life-giving. So this weekend, one one of our big hopes is that we grow together as family, a united family, united around so many things, one of those at the core of who we are being our church values. When we pray together as Jesus taught... When we use these words given to us, we share in the same common desires. We are united in our hope that God's name will be honored, that His will will be done, that His kingdom will come in His provision for us, and in Him to forgive us and deliver us. Naturally, as a group of non-fully sanctified people, we tend towards disagreements and conflict We seek our own agendas and we hold on to these too tightly. And here's how, uh, in that prayer book, John addresses that. Jesus sets the priority and agenda for our prayers. As churches come together and pray in line with the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded of this shared desire. For the King of kings to come and rule. It helps us stop jockeying for position, but instead to plead for God to take his rightful position in our church and the world. It recalibrates our compasses and synchronizes our watches so that we're all headed in the same direction. It brings unity. It reminds us that no matter our circumstances, rich or poor, old or young, married or single, majority or minority, we all need the same thing, God's precious presence. The second aspect of communal prayer is that communal prayer is life-giving. What we do as we pray together and we pray for one another uh, can be summarized really helpfully in the story of Exodus 17. Uh, You don't need to turn there. I'll just kind of say the highlights. Uh, Israel are fighting Amalek, uh, and you may remember the story well from Sunday school. Uh, Israel uh, prevails whenever Moses holds up his hand. But soon, Moses' hands grow weary. And so they take a stone, they put it under him, and Aaron and Hur come to hold up Moses' hands. And so his hands were steady, it says, until the going down of the sun. Sometimes, and I'm pretty sure all of us will be able to relate to this, in our journey of faith, we feel pretty unable to hold our own hands up. And there are some times in our journey we feel fairly able to hold our own hands up. When we are feeling weak, we are the Moses in this story. Those who are reliant on the prayers of others, the help of others to hold us up. And there will be times when we might be the Aaron or the her in this story we are those who are able to step in and to pray for one another. And during the first lockdown, we had prayer meetings on Zoom. Uh, and genuinely, and I came away uh, feeling so encouraged from every single one because it was such a joy to hear family pray earnestly for one another. We knew and we were, we were grieved by the difficulties so many were facing. And yet brothers and sisters were able to so, so desperately hold each other up in prayer. As churches, as Hillview and Kintore, we have many opportunities to pray together. And we really hope that through everything that we do together, that prayer is an essential part. And so in our services on Sundays, uh, we hope that prayer is a central focus. In our life together, in small groups, we hope that prayer is central. Uh, Kintour have just reshaped their small group structure to to facilitate more times just to pray together. Uh, For the ladies uh, in our church, there's a monthly prayer meeting starting this Saturday here in the morning. And we hope that over the next few weeks, there's going to be more opportunities for us to pray together regularly. One specific way I think we can grow in this, and we can grow in this this weekend, is how we respond to meeting with God. At most services, and definitely over this weekend, we offer the chance for people to receive prayer. And we say, and it probably sometimes comes across as a kind of token offering, in that we know this is a good thing, but we're not really that invested. And so to be honest, we probably don't take up this opportunity to be prayed for enough. We would all, I guess, assent intellectually to the idea that we need prayer. But practically, we probably don't really live this out. I think we subtly believe some lies and act on some lies that lead us to to not embrace all that there is in prayer ministry. One of those lies is that what we are going through or feeling is not serious enough to qualify for needing prayer ministry. We think that those who need prayer after the service are just those that are going through the very worst of things. That we look at others in the room and we compare our own uh, sadness or ills to theirs and we think, no, that's not quite for me. As we act like this, we're forgetting that we are praying to and we are loved by and we love a God that intimately cares about the very small details of our lives. Wouldn't it be fantastic if there were too many people asking for prayer? What a beautiful picture that would speak to one another and speak to the world of a people who are so desperately reliant on God for everything. Another lie we may be tempted to believe is that when the, when the call comes to so either come up to the front or stick your hand up or move to the back or whatever, we are worried about what people will think. We worry that if people see us go for prayer ministry, they'll think that we must have either like, done some really bad sin or that something really bad is going on in our lives. And I really don't think that anybody in this family would actually think that of another person going for prayer. I hope and I do trust that, that if we see somebody going for prayer, that that, that that is a victory to be celebrated. When people are lost at sea, and they go and and people go and rescue them, we celebrate. That is a joyous thing. And I hope we are not too proud to admit that there are times we are lost at sea. And I really hope we love one another enough to celebrate when others receive prayer. The final uh, bit I want to touch on uh, is the second half of that first phrase, in heaven. That doesn't just identify the location of God. Like at Christmas when we write letters to Santa and we put North Poles just for the location. (laughs) This is far more than that. Saying in heaven acknowledges the power and the identity of the Father to whom we are praying. The phrase in heaven in the Bible is, uh, is found most kind of clearly in Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God being in heaven means that he is above all other powers. He is completely able to fulfill his will. No task is too hard for him. No ambitious promise that he has set out he cannot fulfill. And so as we pray, there is real power in prayer because there is real power in God. And because we believe that to be true, we're going to spend a few moments praying together uh, in those same groups. Uh, I would love it if uh, you take a minute or so uh, to ask the other people in your group for something they would like prayer for for themselves. We'll spend a few moments praying, and then we'll come back together uh, and sing together. Uh, If you want to take it just in your groups a few minutes now.